Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Campus Safety Voices podcast about healthcare workplace violence. Although the worst of the pandemic is behind us, healthcare facilities are still dealing with the residual impacts on human behavior. I spoke with Dr. Marissa Randazzo, Executive Director of Threat Management at Ontic, about the current state of violence in healthcare settings, in addition to tips for de-escalating concerning behavior, technologies and tools available to support healthcare workers in combating violence, and violence prevention policy must-haves. She also shared free workplace violence mitigation resources and her predictions for the future of healthcare workplace violence, which might actually surprise you. Take a listen. Be sure to subscribe to Campus Safety's YouTube channel and like or leave a comment on our videos or subscribe to our Campus Safety Voices podcast on Apple and Spotify and leave a review. So a big question, but overall, how would you describe the current state of workplace violence in healthcare? I think what we are seeing, certainly across the U.S., is that workplace violence continues to be and a very front and center concern for all healthcare workers, especially for those who are engaged in patient care and emergency room care. So um, we saw this during the pandemic, we are continuing to see it post pandemic. Um, and I, I think it's coming from a number of different sort of contributing causes. One is that what we are seeing not only in hospitals and, and healthcare settings, but also in other workplaces, in schools and colleges and universities, is that we are seeing a dramatic increase in threatening behavior overall. And we're also seeing a dramatic increase in fear so that we have employees who are fearful of a number of different things, coworker behavior in hospitals and healthcare center settings, um, scared about it, uh, patient behavior, but we're also seeing real combative behavior coming from loved ones, from patients' families, um, and and it is intersecting with a lot of turnover in hospitals and healthcare settings as well. So you've got uh, sort of an attrition of institutional knowledge and expertise new healthcare personnel coming on board, which is wonderful, but trying to get up to speed with an increasingly stressed patient population and patient family members who are there trying to advocate on behalf of their loved one. Um, And so this is, it is, I hate to use the term perfect storm, but we're still seeing a perfect storm of contributing factors, making violence and threats in the healthcare industry continue to be a very real front and center concern. Now you look at uh, this season is really terrible for for little kids, sicknesses, RSV and stuff like that. And there's so many emotions involved in that with parents. And um, I can only imagine the chaos that's in a, a pediatric unit or an ER in the winter time. And then you know, people were coming off a pandemic. Any sickness is scary because you think back to two years ago and how there was, it was just so chaotic. And so I'm sure it's it's insane right now. Well, and to your point, my understanding, I'm not a medical doctor, so I'm just doing this, basing this off of, of articles I've been reading, but my understanding is the progression of some of these respiratory illnesses in children um, deteriorate very quickly. And so you also may have more parents with kids coming into emergency rooms with dire situations that just 12 hours prior had not looked that way. And so you add that into 
a, a hectic environment where people are trying to get help immediately for a loved one and maybe encountering personnel who are overtaxed with handling you know more emergencies than normal with newer personnel again it, it just it, it creates an environment where combative behavior hostile behavior and threats are, are highly likely to occur Absolutely. And now uh, OMTIG recently released its uh, 2022 mid-year outlook state of protective intelligence report. Yep. Can you discuss, and you, you might've gone over this as well in, already in speaking, but can you discuss some of its important findings in regard to healthcare? Sure. So we actually polled um, different professionals, but, but in a, a whole host of companies, not just hospitals and healthcare settings. Across the board, what we are seeing is a dramatic increase. These companies are reporting a dramatic increase in threats that they are directed toward their facilities, their personnel, from employees, from outside, um, that, that really the volume of threatening behavior across the board is, is showing a real increase across these different sectors. I also, I read an article the other day that also said um, there's a lot of targeted violence or threats to hospitals that are, um, administering transgender care, which is just like a whole other thing that hospitals have to be prepared for now as well with the safety of that. And that's, I would say that's a new development within the threat landscape to hospitals and healthcare facilities that the political advocacy or, or sort of political nature of some of the healthcare issues that are in the news now are then resulting in threats to those facilities, but also what we're seeing is doxing of private, you know, home addresses of the hospital presidents of leading researchers in this area. There is a, a real, um, a real effort, sort of largely online, to try to instigate harm toward those individuals and to impede the operations of hospitals and healthcare facilities that are providing care whether it, whatever the nature is, that, that there's this effort now to, to try to take action through disruption against those facilities. And you had talked about this previously too, but it, would you say the pandemic and its effects are still the main culprit in why we're seeing an increase in workplace violence, or have there been other correlations that have been discovered over you know, I don't, I, it's hard to know, but in my experience, in all the work we do with hospitals and healthcare settings, it, it, that the the peak has not yet gone down. So the, the peak that started to occur during the pandemic has, has remained high, even though pandemic conditions have really started to abate. So the, the challenge is I've seen it kind of at the granular level is that I feel like all of us, it, it, employees, managers in all these different settings are still still struggling with having to carry the load of all the stress of the pandemic. So that while health-wise with vaccines, masking, whatever, that, that health-wise we're able to go out and about in the world and have been for a while, the residual impact of the financial uncertainty and living and working and schooling at home and having to care for young kids who are unvaccinated or at risk, having to, to protect the health of elderly family members that we're interacting with, having to worry about, you know, will I still have my job, having to navigate Zoom life, all of those things have created some residual impact on individuals 
that what I see translated into is sort of a, a less of an ability for us to be civil with each other, quicker tempers, more likelihood of, of interactions becoming combative and hostile. Whereas pre-pandemic, that same interaction might have been a disagreement, but didn't escalate into a shouting match and then became a physical altercation. So I think our ability to to tolerate her, just things that may feel harassing or where we're in conflict with someone else is, is pretty short-circuited right now for so many of us just carrying that load from pandemic. So it isn't the pandemic itself, but mm. it's the aftermath of having to live through that for as long as we have. Right. And that makes me think of the trauma that healthcare workers went through the last two years, seeing so many people die without their families and alone. And then they're expected to just go back to their job and take, you know, take a beating figuratively and literally on top of all this other trauma that they're trying to deal with as well. Um, I just can't even fathom it. Exactly. I do want to point out too, I think it's so important just to recognize the incredible work that healthcare workers do every day and that they did this through the pandemic and, and kept so many people cared for and, and, and alive and, that they are, they had, they were feeling the, the effects of pandemic stress too, as they were giving this care. That I just, I think we can't underestimate how vital role they play that they played during the pandemic and, and are continuing to play now. Yeah, for sure. You think of how stressful it was for, for anyone really. And then they have families, they have home lives too. And then they're dealing with all of it. I couldn't agree more. And now my next question, this is kind of a two-parter, but a lot of it likely overlaps. What steps should someone in healthcare take when they are confronted with a combative person in the workplace? And also what are some effective ways to help deescalate a concerning behavior before it gets to a point? Sure, there are great resources out there that give good training on deescalation strategies generally. Great for healthcare workers of all different um, roles and responsibilities, but also good generally. We see combative behavior come into the workplace in, in all different sectors. Um, de-escalation, first and foremost, one of the things that, that I have learned in my career as a, a tip to de-escalate just in the moment is just because you're right, you don't have to use that opportunity to prove that you're right. It's better to listen more. The more we can listen and and if, if you are in a situation one-on-one -on -one with someone and you're feeling unsafe, try to get them to a place where there are other people around. Um, because people are just less likely to do something if there, there are other people in the vicinity or the people may be able to, to step in and assist. But saying less and listening more can actually be incredibly powerful in diffusing a, a hostile situation because so often people get to a point of hostility when they feel like no one is listening. Now, you might not be able to solve the problem and you shouldn't promise things that you know you can't deliver on, but you can you could promise to say, the more you tell me, the more I may be able to help. So, so I wanna hear more, I hear your frustration. Let me put down my phone, let me sit, I mean, you don't necessarily, but let me just, let me sit and really listen to what you have to say. I didn't realize you were this frustrated. So tell me what's going on. And I don't know the whole situation, start from the beginning. That that can be incredibly helpful. The other technique, just in short order, that, that I've learned along the course of, of my work is that it's normal human interaction for us to sort of match 
the behavior of someone we're talking to. So as they get louder and more animated, we tend to get louder and more animated. And especially if we feel like we are being accused of doing something we didn't do, it's a natural human tendency to want to immediately defend and state your position and indicate how they're wrong. In a hostile encounter, that's not going to help to diffuse. So in a hostile encounter, we teach people to try to take it a little bit slower, take their own voice a little bit lower, and that can lead to the person who's acting in an aggressive and combative manner to actually slow down a little bit themselves and mirror a little bit lower. The mirror. mirror. Exactly. Exactly. And you, you had mentioned there are free resources out there for de-escalation. Do you have any specific ones that you can share? What I want to highlight is there um, the Joint Commission, which put in place these standards for workplace violence prevention for hospitals and healthcare settings in the beginning of 2022. They actually have a great list of resources that are available free of charge for all different types of training and sample procedures and, and things like that that hospitals and healthcare settings can access. But jointcommission.org is a fantastic site for all things related to workplace violence prevention in hospitals and, and healthcare facilities. The Joint Commission is the, the entity that does accreditation for major hospitals and, and, and healthcare facilities. And so they really, not only do they sort of set the standard in terms of what's required, and this is a, a new requirement as of beginning of 2022, but then they also support hospitals and healthcare facilities by providing resources like the templates and um, training videos and, and things like that, that, that facilities can access and, and individual employees can access to try to build these skills. All right, awesome, thank you. In addition to resources that people get on, can get online, are there, I, I know that there are some in, in my research and other people that I've spoken to, but like what technology tools are out there specifically to support healthcare workers in regard to workplace violence? A couple of things that are available. Uh, first and foremost, one of the Joint Commission requirements um, includes having ways to document incidents that occur so that hospitals and healthcare settings can keep track of how many incidents per year? What departments are they occurring in? Um, are they in the parking lot? Are they in the emergency department? Are they in neonatal? Like where are, the, are things happening so they can keep track of and then address trends as they see them? So some sort of software to help track incidents, whether it's threats, physical assaults, uh, you know, stalking behavior, harassment, anything like that can, can be vital. And, and there are different vendors out there. Um, it, and depending on the, the nature of, of what that, that hospital or healthcare facility needs, there are different softwares of, of different sizes. Um, but it's important, I think, for, for these facilities to know that, that this is now part of what's required is having some some database, some software to, to track incidents. The other technology piece that I think is important to think about is that hospital and healthcare facility employees need a way to report incidents quickly. So there are a whole host of reporting apps that, that are out there. Um, uh, report It uh, is a great reporting app. There are other ones that support different hospitals and healthcare, and they individual uh, facilities may have their own reporting mechanism built in. But what you wanna do is, is have, whether it's an app or, or something that's easy to access, 
easy to pass information along and that you can do so quickly, that it's not a 10 page form you have to fill out, that it's not a phone call. We, we see nurses and, and nurse techs going around hospitals who are, they have phones that they have on duty to be able to build something into that phone that could quickly log a, an instant of patient hostility or um, you know, a threat from a family member, whatever the case may be, we need to make it easy and, and there are tools that make it easy for hospitals and healthcare providers to report information quickly. And we can always follow up and ask for more information from them, but in the moment we need to know about it. And the longer and lengthier and more difficult a process, the less likely they are to report. Absolutely. We had mentioned how earlier how the newer or incoming healthcare providers, you know, might not yet be equipped to handle the over, overwhelming nature of hospitals, but they they seem to be from people that I've spoken to in the industry, they seem to take less, you know what, I think it's being emphasized early on that like report any incident, whether it's from uh, a coworker or a, a patient, um, you know, versus older healthcare providers that might have been in it for 30, 40 plus years, they might just say, well, that's the way it is in this industry. And I just feel like the, the up and coming group is less prone to put up with any of it. I think what we really may be seeing is that with these new workplace violence prevention requirements that went into effect beginning of 2022, there's a there's a new there's sort of a new recognition that it is important to report everything so that hospitals can truly get a handle on what is going on and healthcare really knows how many are we talking about? And and if it's for you know for for nursing staff or healthcare providers who have been in the industry for a long time, they may be accustomed to it, but in order for a facility to be able to take meaningful action to try to prevent, they really need to know how much is going on and, and no one should become accustomed to it. So how much is going on? Let us know where and when. Is it the overnight shift? Is it during shift change? I mean, all of that information, the more that facilities and, and, and security for hospitals and healthcare facilities know about it, the more they can actually take action, All right, That's the time of day we want our, our security personnel doing rounds. So to just have a sense of where and when gives so much ability and visibility for security professionals to then take action to try to prevent. That's why on, on campus safety, we, we don't ever cover top 10 safest schools or top 10 safest hospitals because just because it say a, a hospital has a lot of reported incidents, it doesn't necessarily mean it's less safe. It might just mean that they're encouraged to report it more, which makes it more safe. That's such an important piece. And, and I've seen this in schools and colleges and workplaces that in a way they don't want to admit they even have a violence prevention capability because that would mean they have violence. <laughs> Every place is, is capable or prone to, uh, it could happen anywhere. So it, and just to your point, knowing a, a workplace, a healthcare facility has more threats does not mean it is less safe. It just may mean they're doing a really good job of encouraging reporting and those employees are following through and, and doing what they're supposed to be doing. Absolutely. And, and now in addition to technology, strong written policies and procedures are crucial also to preventing workplace violence. What are some must-haves healthcare facilities should include in these policies? So again, getting back to the Joint Commission requirements, and, and these really, the requirements fall on hospitals and healthcare facilities that are seeking accreditation, but they are a great blueprint for all hospitals and health facilities. Um, they are looking at a couple of things. So they require some multidisciplinary team 
that is trained on how to respond to threats and, and physical violence. Now, not necessarily trained as an emergency response team to go break up a, a physical altercation, but to be able trained on how to handle threatening behavior and respond after an incident to figure out how do we prevent this from occurring again. And it should be multidisciplinary. So having a multidisciplinary team is critical. Having a policy that affirms that this hospital, this healthcare facility is, a, is committed to a violence-free workplace and a violence-free environment. And usually those policies can sort of highlight what do we already have in place? You know, we, we, um, it, it's a weapons-free zone. Uh, we um, you know, immediately respond to any reports of harassment, um, you know, that we, that we are, can take action against any threats, things like that. So it's, it's policy language, but it helps to provide the framework for all the things that that healthcare facility or organization is doing to keep things safe for their employees and for their patients as well. Um, and a couple other things I'd mentioned, the database that's, that's required, and then training. And I'm going to hit this point really hard. It is so critical for that multidisciplinary team to get training in behavioral threat assessment. How do we figure out if a threat is something we need to worry about or not? Um, and as I was mentioning at the beginning, sort of post-pandemic, we are seeing not only an increase in threats, but also a dramatic increase in fear among employees and among managers in, in a whole range of sectors, as well as in healthcare and, and hospital settings. So having training on what to do when you get a report that someone has threatened or someone is feeling so unsafe they refuse to work with a coworker, refuse to treat a patient, whatever the case may be, having training for that multidisciplinary team in behavioral threat assessment and threat management is an absolutely critical skill for them to have. Now, every time I ask people this question, they're always like, well, if I knew I, I could fix everything, but do you have predictions for 2023, the upcoming year, as it relates to targeted workplace violence and healthcare? And also, yeah. can end on a good note, do you have any promising or hopeful information to share in regards to the tra trajectory of it? Yeah, so so I will say that from, I have a number of colleagues who are health providers and I talk with them from time to time about what they're seeing. And then a number of hospitals and healthcare facilities, I actively support through training and, and program guidance through with behavioral threat assessment through my job at Ontic. So um, what I'm seeing in those different purviews is I am seeing that while hospital, while healthcare providers are really sort of in the thick of it right now in terms of workplace violence, that I'm starting to see impact from the Joint Commission requirements, that as hospitals are fully implementing those requirements and other guidance, like from the American Hospitals Association, that they are starting to see, it takes a little while, but they're starting to see the, the beneficial impact of having these programs in place and having these trained teams to respond to incidents as they occur. So while the number of threats may continue to remain high, what I'm seeing improvement in is the ability of hospitals and healthcare facilities to respond appropriately and figure out where do we need to actually intervene to mitigate risk. And so I've, I've, I feel like there's absolutely hope on the horizon in large part because these requirements have been put into place. They've now been in place for a year and we're really starting to see that beneficial impact of, of 
reduction in incidents because they're able to get left a bang as we talk about. They're able to, to look at something before harm has occurred and take steps to mitigate it.